This is episode 52 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Julianne Hartley. I remember being really frustrated at one point. I had a lot of young children with like attention needs coming in and behavioral needs coming in. And I felt like I was doing everything I could as a music therapist, but like their parents were sending them into my studio with like Cheetos and Oreos and all these things. And I just felt like you can only do so much, but if a child does not have the tools to rewire their brain, that they don't have the tools to rewire their brain. And like there are chemical tools that need to be present in order for children to rewire their brains or, you know, or to even develop. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we have part two of my conversation with Julie Ann Hartley, where we break down um, her work with trauma, specifically in the foster care system, and her experiences as a nutritional therapy practitioner, why she got that certification, and how it has informed her music therapy practice. So hope you enjoyed part one with Julianne. If you haven't listened to that, go ahead and check it out. It will be uh, the last released episode. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook so we can read some more of those on the other ends of episodes. I really enjoy being able to do that. You can find us online and on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles and consider joining our group on Facebook. I'd love to have more in-depth conversations there, continue the conversations from the episodes. Let me know what you learned, what you heard, what you want to hear more of. I'd love some feedback about that as well. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. So right before I had to go on medical leave, a lot of my clients were clients in New Hampshire who were wards of the state. They were removed from their homes due to pretty, pretty severe abuse situations um, or domestic violence situations. And without going into too much detail, like children who had been drugged up and sexually like raped for money to give to their parents so their parents can drive, could buy drugs, like situations like that which are just things that I think at the time when I started working with these kids, it just blew my mind that this was happening here. And there was a lot of self-care that had to go into it. So I make sure I didn't cry whenever a child told me their story or when I read their story or something in the files. Um, but I learned a lot in that work. And that work has very much changed the way I approached every other music therapy client I worked with, even outside of that population. Um, and there's a book I really just want to recommend to your listeners. And even if you're not a music therapist, but you just are human in this world and want to learn how to communicate better with really tough situations, 
It's called The Connected Child. And um, a neuropsychologist recommended this to me. So this neuropsychologist is just amazing. She brought me into her practice to work with all of the kids that she worked with because she thought music therapy was really important. How cool is that? Yeah. Um, and I was a big part of their assessing of these children. So like they, we were assessing whether or not they had to go into a permanent residency with a state somewhere, right? Like if they were safe enough to expose to families and to go to a, a normal school or if they need to be essentially like in a, a level below the state hospital the rest or for years potentially um, or if they could be rehabilitated to a point where they could go into a foster family or something and like the music therapy work we were doing was um, kind of just the best evidence we were getting where they were at. And you know this, right? There's just music therapists. We so often see the best and people because they're the most motivated to, to do the work. So we were able to get the best assessments through the music therapy work. Um, but the connected child, what I love about this, you can read it in a weekend. And I try to have all the parents I work with now, or used to work with mm. read this book because it just gives so many amazing strategies of how to deal with I think everyone's worst nightmare behavioral situations and a really great way of reframing it. And I think music therapists are pretty good at being, keeping in mind like the background of these kids when they're saying horrific things to you um, or when they're um, saying no, or when they're running away or doing all those things. I think we have a pretty good idea of how to like, that's not necessarily their fault. Like they're, it's just their coping skills, but this book gives such a great, uh, strategy of how to deal with those situations and just really good short language cues. Um, and I, I find I'm using them with everyone that I work with everyone. And it just seems to be so good at simplifying communication in a way that's like appropriate in the sense of, if you think of someone who is having a, a huge behavioral outburst or something, they're usually in their fight or flight mode at that point. And usually a lot of um, executive functioning and communication abilities tend to shut down, right? Their auditory processing abilities tend to shut down a little bit. So it's so great to just have really simple cues that you're making sure that you use in a uniform way. Um, so they understand the meaning of those cues. And I'm not like necessarily like ABA kind of cues or anything like that, but just um, things like safe hands, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> or no hurts if someone's hurting someone or, um, let's make a choice and coming up with, you know, just those simple kind of things. I really recommend it for all music therapists. Cause I wish I had read this when I was in school, it would have helped a lot. Yeah. So that's really one I wanted to make sure I shared. Of course. Yeah. I will link that as well. And you saying those, those are things that I also picked up like along the way, those quick, small. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think like the, I think you pick them up eventually, but like, God, if I hadn't known these when I was 20 and in, in my internship or something like, ah. Mm -hmm. oh, Oh, that would have been so helpful. And it's helpful for everyone, even if like you're working with even the elderly populations when you're like, all right, I need to navigate this tricky situation. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of really helpful keys in there. So what kind of self-care things um, did you do to keep yourself grounded when working with these really tough cases? Yeah. So it was really important for me to talk through the things I was struggling with, right? Not necessarily give details or anything, but like 
you know, there were times I'd come home from work and just be sobbing because I just couldn't believe the lives that these children had gone through. And I would be dreaming about them. And it was really the first few weeks of work, like just, you know, waking up crying because I was just dreaming of these stories they had told me. Um, and for me, the best thing was just communicating, right? Just talking through that with someone I trusted. Um, if someone has good supervision, you know, I'm sure that's, that's like, that's a great place to talk mm -hmm. about something like that. Um, then the other piece for me that was really helpful was I started working on my second album, which is all going to be focused on social emotional goals. And so that was also really helpful. I was kind of channeling, like, how can I create a world where I never have to see these children again, not because I don't want to see them, but because we as a society have come up with such great social emotional coping skills where like we have tools or we can use on a systematic approach to teach people four years old and 40 years old to approach really difficult situations. And so my second album, which isn't out yet and won't be out for a while. And it's now going to be even more delayed with all of the things going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my second album was really kind of my action, right? Like I was suffering thinking about these kids my coping skill was to come up with an action or intervention that can be used, not just with the eight or 10 kids I see that week, but with potentially hundreds of thousands of children and adults throughout the world. And that to me was like, well, if my first album could have that sort of impact when it was the, the goals are broad in general, then my second album, if the goals are very concise and if the music pretty much targets those goals if it can have the same impact that the first album had then maybe it's not going to like end the opioid crisis or anything like that but god what a good first step mm -hmm. so that's I think like that was really the way I dealt with the most was talking about it with the people I trust not necessarily cases in particular but just talking through my kind of horror over the scenario and then being able to come up with some sort of action item like something I could do to help prevent this um, from happening over and over and over and over again yeah but it's hard it was hard and I I feel a lot for the social workers in this field who are dealing with like 100 cases at a time they're usually all pretty horrible situations um I had a little girl who I couldn't sing Mary had a little lamb around because that was the song her abuser sang like just, I don't like pretty tough stuff. Um, but we need people so badly to go in there and to do that work because music therapy was also incredibly effective at helping these kids cope with the trauma that had occurred to them, helping them. I mean, some of these kids came in, not even be able to speak at all because, you know, they, the negligence was so bad that they never really developed their speech skills properly. And within eight weeks had just like maybe years of progress in their speech because of the way we integrated music therapy into it. Um, yeah. So I really encourage people, if you feel drawn to that, definitely do it, but go in, go in ready, <laughs> I guess. I don't know yeah. if you're ever ready, but like, you know, the other thing I will mention this, and I don't usually talk about this so much publicly I definitely had a tough childhood with a lot of domestic violence as well. So going into that situation definitely brought up 
all of that. Um, and all those memories and all of the yelling and all of the breakings of, you know, all the whole nine yards. So I think that was also what fueled a lot of that. I mean, a lot of my own response to it. And so coming to terms that I had not yet healed from that, like, despite how much therapy we go through in college and, and all the work we do, that was also really important to me because seeing how emotional of a response I had to these things, and I don't know how anyone could not have an emotional response, but seeing how much like viscerally it really affected me, um, just also reminded me of how much work I still needed to do. Um, and that's good too. And so just another great reminder for everyone that like <laughs> there's always work to be done. Yeah. Well, it takes so much self-awareness to do this and to be present for our clients and to remove yeah. our own biases. And it takes a have, lot. Have you ever done anything called neurofeedback or no. seen a brain scan? So go ahead. I have to say, I, I think oh. I've heard of it, but yeah, please explain. So the neuropsychologist I was working with, with these children, she does neurofeedback, um, which is just a way of helping retrain the brain around different goals. Um, but using kind of like a visual and auditory stimulus. Um, but what she does first is she scans everyone's brains. And there's a certain area of the brain that really shows up bright when you have witnessed some sort of severe trauma or abuse or negligence or something like that. And all these kids, that area of the brain is just, whoo, stands out like Christmas lights, Right. And, um, when I was starting to really struggle neurologically, the neuro, the neuropsychologist who was, had a daughter with Lyme disease and, you know, she, she understood the whole situation. She's like, well, let me do a brain scan. Let's do some neurofeedback on you. Um, which was so nice of her, but she did not know about my childhood trauma or history of that. Um, and when she did the brain scan, she just looked at me and she was like, Hmm. So you come with your own history, don't you? Yeah. Um, and then she pointed out on my brain map, you know, what to her just stuck out as a giant, you know, red flag that like I had also come to this situation with my own history of trauma within my childhood um, and how it was very much still active um, despite all of the work that we think we do. Um, so that's just, I only bring that up only to mention because I really thought that I wasn't still working on that. And that's possible that like that impact from my childhood also affected my health. We know this, right? Like there's a lot of studies done that, um, negative childhood experiences, tra you know, traumatic childhood experiences like this can lead to lives of chronic illness later on because of uh, the dysregulation it can cause throughout our body. Um, but I think, it, you know, for all music therapists, for anyone listening to this, it's just so important to remember that we come to all of these situations with just a lifetime of history and responses. And um, it's always so good to just be aware of how we're responding to things internally and emotionally, because like there are also maybe red flags that we still have work to do. Yeah. Have you read The Body Keeps the Score? I haven't. A million people have told me to read and I need to read it. It's just one of those things like I, I, I know I need to read. Um, have you read it? Yeah. 
Yeah, I read it um, in my internship because I was working at the state hospital. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I listened to most of it via audiobook and a lot of times had to stop and process what it was referring to and then get back on with, you know, learning in my life uh, because mm-hmm. it is it is amazing how things are stored in the body and the research around that um right and then you can get into like epigenetics and all oh that I love stuff. epigenetics so my <laughs> other training I don't I don't I never talk about this really in music You're, therapy podcast. Is gonna say like nutrition, nutrition? Yeah, yeah yeah I was wondering yeah. how that informs your music therapy practice so tell us oh totally so I remember being really frustrated at one point I had a lot of young children with like attention needs coming in and behavioral needs coming in mm-hmm. and I felt like I was doing everything I could as a music therapist but like their parents were sending them into my studio with like Cheetos and Oreos and all these things. And I just felt like you can only do so much, but if a child does not have the tools to rewire their brain, that they don't have the tools to rewire their brain. And like, there are chemical tools that need to be present in order for children to rewire their brains or, you know, or to even develop. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up doing a year long nutritional therapy practitioners course, which I highly recommend for anyone interested in nutrition. It's not a master's or anything in nutrition, but it was just like the most intensive training I'd ever done in a year's period, just learning about all the different body systems and all the chemicals involved and how, you know, the whole nine yards, the, how the hormones work in our body and how food can be affecting that, how inflammation can be affecting that. So it definitely changed my perspective from, you know, what about my intervention is wrong here to, realizing that there was so much more going on. I needed to take into context a child's hormones at the time or their inflammation levels, you know, beyond also just their trauma history, right? Like, let's look at like, what nutrition has this child not been getting their whole life? Like, they're probably severely vitamin D deficient or, you know, there's all these different things. And so that just made it a lot easier because it helped me change my perspective from just music therapy intervention based to realizing like, this is a whole body um, that I'm not necessarily going to be the one fixing or anything like that, but it kept me in, kept me better, much better informed. And I also was able to advise to parents like about maybe tests or diagnoses to ask their doctors about, right? Like I could say, Hey, if you haven't had a lead test yet, I really recommend a lead test given these set of symptoms. Um, but also being very careful about like my scope of practice yeah. and all of it. But um, definitely, yeah, I, any sort of more training you can do, right? Like we all know music therapy or not music therapy, like the more training we do, just the, the more open our perspective becomes. For sure. Well, and we, we talk a lot about like a humanistic approach or a holistic approach, but that obviously includes all the variables not included in our sessions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was great because I also had people coming in who like they had really bad anxiety or they had really bad depression, but they were drinking three or four Mountain Dews in a day. Yeah. (laughs) And because I had the nutritional therapy practitioner, it was within my scope of practice to also talk to them about sugar and like the way sugar can be affecting depression or anxiety and all those things and start helping them come up with action plans to make healthier food choices. And so slowly I would see these people who were drinking Mountain Dew start to drink kombuchas. There you go. There you go. I guess I've made progress. It's good for the microbiome. Yeah. Have you read um, Brain Maker or any of Dr. Perlmutter's work? No. I've never heard of that, actually. 
Well, I will link them in the show notes. Yeah, you should. And I can, so I can send them to you. Yeah, Dr. Perlmutter. He has some some good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to write myself a note to link those. Yeah, yeah, please do. I'm always always happy to learn more. Yeah. Uh, this just came to me when you said brain. I want to just mention, so I don't know how many of your listeners do have the neurological music therapy training. I cannot recommend it enough. That has also completely changed the way I practice or where was practicing. <laughs> we'll be practicing again. Um, but I was able to figure out. So for a long time, I was having this anxiety coming up while I was driving. I was having this anxiety coming up in sound situations and different sensory situations. That was the trigger for a lot of this anxiety. But it didn't feel like pure anxiety in the sense of it didn't feel like it was fear of fear itself. It felt very much like my body's red flags, that like something was really off. And I remember trying to explain this to my many doctors over the years mm-hmm. and to my, my new primary care doctor, by the way, I did not stick with the old primary care doctor who Good ignored for me. You. <laughs> yep. Definitely moved on to a new doctor and it's okay to move on to a new doctor. Don't, it's not your fault if you're moving on to a new doctor. It's just, sometimes it's not a good fit. Um, and yeah, they kept just being like, no, I think it's just anxiety. Take some anxiety meds. And I was like, no, these feel like really important red flags that I need to be keeping track of because they don't happen all the time. They don't happen in every situation. When I'm feeling okay, they don't happen. But when I'm starting to get more pain or more arthritis, the anxiety also starts to happen. So I felt like it was a, a really important symptom for me to keep track of. But how I realized that I needed much more help and I needed to go see a neurologist and needed a brain scan um, – was how do I put this without sounding too hokey pokey this is totally along the lines of like being intuitive with your body I sat down and I meditated and I asked for more help right I asked for more guidance and either my own intuition told me this or like I don't know who knows maybe there's some cool spiritual guidance out there I had a very clear visual image of my brain and an injury within my brain. And then I was also had amino acids came up very clearly as something that was off in my body. And it was so clear. It was not like just like a day. It was like, Ooh, that doesn't sound hokey pokey to me at all. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, I was in a clear, good meditative state. My body informed me what was going on. And I started to ask the doctor for to go see a neurologist and go get an MRI. And when we did, it was like very like, no, yep, you actually have a brain injury. And then um, the rare immune disorder I have is a dysfunction with my amino acids, a dysfunction wow. with the proteins in my body being able to create antibodies. Um, yeah. That intuition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to your bodies. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's so much more research coming out too about like the science of precognition and all that kind of stuff. So it's less and less, like you said, hokey pokey. I'm always down for a conversation like that. So yeah. And it's like, it's not necessarily that it was some sort of spirit or angel, but cool if it was, I'm open-minded. Um, but I do think the body knows so much if we just like stop and listen. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was off topic, but you said brain. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should tell the brain story. I don't think any of it's off topic. Someone out there needs to hear it. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Okay, should we do your rapid fire questions? Are you ready? Ready. I try. How fast have to go? Well, the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. Okay, cool. Coffee or tea? Tea. Do you have a specific kind of tea? 
I like herbal teas. I don't do well with caffeine in general. Learn that about myself. I get a little buzzy. Yeah. You also, you do a lot of stuff with like, you mentioned, um, herbs. Yeah. Well, and like uh, foraging, that's the word I'm looking for and finding stuff. And I know you recently posted on Facebook about finding vitamin C. Oh out, yeah. Out in nature. I love seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So today I'm drinking a lot of, um, vitamin C infused water with, so like if most people have access to some sort of pine or Eastern hemlock mm-hmm. or spruce trees. Um, I don't know if many people know this, but the pine bark or, you know, the, the green inner bark and the needles are very high in vitamin C as, as well as a whole host of other nutrients that are so good for us and that are good for stopping infections. Um, pine water used to be used as antiseptic. Mm-hmm. Like that was something they would clean wounds with, or they'd wash their hands in. it'd be pine infused water. Um, and that's all been backed up by science. Like there's a lot of really powerful, um, I guess chemicals, we'll say like, like good chemicals in there that help us help our bodies fighting infections. And so I've been sipping on that a lot because uh, it's just so high in vitamin C. And I just feel like, especially with this virus going around, it just seems like a good idea. Now is the time. Yeah. But I'm also a huge fan. um, If we're talking about wild teas, strawberry leaf, blackberry leaf, all of the berry leaves are also usually really high in minerals. That's when I like to just sip on just to kind of support my body's nutrition. Um, if you're really boogery as a musician, uh, all those leaves are also good for like drying you out a little. So you're not like so phlegmy when you're mm-hmm. trying to sing. And then one of my other favorites that almost everyone can find all around the world is yarrow. Um, that's a really important one for don't drink it if you're pregnant. That's really um but for like helping with menstruation, just mm-hmm. you can bring on your periods early with that, which is kind of a cool thing. If you're like, oh, I'm getting married this weekend. I really don't want my period. Then I'll start <laughs> drinking three cups of yarrow on Monday and it'll be done by my wedding. Um, I've Good trick. Not, yeah, no, I didn't do that for my wedding, but the Appalachian Trail is to start my period the first day. And I was like, I just don't. It's not my idea of a good time. Yeah, I just don't want that. So <laughs> I started drinking. I had three cups of tea. Five days before I was supposed to my period and I brought on my period a week or, you know, but I don't recommend doing that often, but like, well, if you, I don't know if you have a sporting event or conference that wasn't yeah. canceled or yeah, you're just like, <laughs> I just, I just don't want these two things to happen at the same time. Yeah. And they help with cramps a lot, but, um, it also just has a lot of minerals. It's really important for digestion because it's that bitter flavor. So it helps with digestion. And then it's really helpful with fevers and things like that. So I have tons of dried yarrow ready and on hand for if my husband and I get sick. Good tip. Yeah. Those are some of my favorites. I recommend them. Good. Thank you. Early bird or night owl? Neither. I just sleep all the time. (laughs) Sorry. uh, I should have omitted that one. My bad. (laughs) No, it's okay. I mean, like, I am generally someone who goes to bed pretty early. Whether or not I fall asleep is one thing, right? And then sometimes I wake up at 5 a.m., because my system is off and sometimes I wake up at 9 a.m. And so I just get sleep when I can get it. Good for you. Yeah. (laughs) Something you would tell your younger self. Oh, God, there's so many things. (laughs) Hmm. I think I would tell my other younger self that I am worthy. Just you're worthy of love. It's okay. Right. I would just remind myself that I was worthy 
regardless of whatever was happening, that I was still worthy, that my parents weren't mad because of me. It wasn't my fault. You know, those are the things I think, things I want my children to really hear. Like those would be two big things. Like even when I'm mad or upset, it's, it's not because of you. Like my love for you is always there. And then the other being that, and you're always worthy of that love, regardless of if you're the fastest runner or the slowest or like, it just doesn't matter. Like you're always worthy of that. Good. Your music therapy elevator speech. Music therapy (laughs) is using music to work on non-musical goals. And then I go through the different domains and then I give a few quick examples. So, you know, someone with a stroke, you may be able to rehabilitate those parts of their brain that have been affected or be able to, to rewire some of the language patterns. Um, yeah, I'd like to keep it pretty short and simple. Perfect. Your favorite self-care practice. Sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Crying, right? I know, like, that sounds, but like allowing yourself to just cry sometimes when you're feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Oh, and songwriting. I know that's probably obvious, but sometimes I forget to, like, when I'm having a hard time processing something, sometimes I remind myself, like, no, just go write a song about it. That helps a lot. Good. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Hmm. What a good question. I think seeing my friends and family and their response to me getting sicker and taking it very seriously, seeing them buckle down on their love for me, right? Like seeing them just continue to remind me how important connected I am within this community and how well loved I am within this community, which I just never even realized how much I was connected to the community until I started asking for help. So my community. Yeah. Good one. Um, Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session. And this could also be like your favorite song you've created or your favorite Mm. thing that you're doing a little differently now, however you want to to change that up. Yeah, so I have a song called the race car song on my album, which with working with kids, this is definitely be a kid one, but it's definitely my go-to to get the energy out of kids. And I, like for me, I if I'm working with kids, I always start my sessions with some sort of energy intensive, well, after, you know, warming up quickly, but I always like to get them moving and running around as much as possible. So then like, we can get that out so then we can do some more real work and they'll be more focused for it. But the race car song I wrote for a young boy with autism. It was a preschool group um, or like pre-K group. And he, there were 12 kids in this, this group. And um, some of them had, this was like a, a place that took children who had been identified their early intervention system and they were placed by the school district in this kind of inclusive pre-K group, which is awesome. But this little boy loved music, but he still wouldn't join the group. Like he would just sit right on my lap the whole time or would sit by me the whole time, but he wouldn't do what the rest of the group was doing. But he kept scripting um, the Cars movie, mm-hmm. right? So he would just kept coding it. And so I wrote something called the race car song and 
my idea was to try to motivate him to do something with the group. And it's a movement based song. And how I would do it in my sessions is I would just have him go through all these movements, but then the music would stop. They'd have to freeze. And the child that I saw froze first and stay frozen gets to pick the next movement that the whole group does. Mm. And so this became a hugely motivating factor for every child in that room to be on their best behavior, listening as much as possible. So the young boy with autism was really struggling with auditory perception and attention skills. So this also seemed like a really good fitting song for him. Um, and he was immediately motivated. He, I think we timed it. He was able to be involved and on task with the whole group for 10 minutes at one point, wow. which is like, this was a kid who like, if you got 30 seconds out of him, that was a miracle. So that was really cool. And he stayed consistently really involved and interested in that song. And any time once he learned that song and the way that intervention worked, when I incorporated that into other songs, he would also pay more attention too. So it was like our kind of segue song. But still to this day, all my Miss Julian concerts that I do, or hopefully do again, all of my like young children interventions, I just love to start with that song because it's really simple. The kids love it. It's really motivating. Uh, motivating, and it just you can incorporate any different movement that you want, and you can just make them do a million push-ups till they can't. <laughs> We can't run around. And that's why I ask them, like, you guys tired in? If they say no, like, we keep going. And I get them until they're tired. And then we can, like, sit down and talk about some other things. Wow. Good one. Um, yeah. If I'll link that one separately, too, so that people yeah. can find Race it. Yeah, Awesome. And lastly, where can people find you and connect with you? Yep. So on Instagram, I'm at Miss Julianne Music. And I post a lot about music therapy, wild edibles, not the psychedelic kind, but just like <laughs> I don't know, all the other ones. Um, and then on Facebook, I have a Miss Julianne Facebook page. You're welcome to follow me there. Um, and I do have a website, MissJulianne.com. Um, you're welcome to go check that out too. But I'm, I'd say out of all those things, I'm most active on Instagram. So if you just kind of want to see the daily life of recording my second album and the process of that or – kind of if you're interested in the lime thing i'm always happy to talk about it all that with people so but instagram is probably the best way to follow what's going on awesome i will link all that so everyone can find you thank you so much for being on yeah the thanks show. for having me yeah thank you for sharing your story and being candid and talking about poop openly always, always appreciate to a good talk poop about talk poop. <laughs> yeah just send me an email if you just like want to talk about poop or something i mean it's fine <laughs> Awesome. I've got well, nothing else to do but talk about poop. Oh, no kidding. So we're back to um, whatever normal life looks like for the next two weeks. But enjoy enjoy maybe some more downtime, extra downtime to slow down and stay yeah. healthy. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for creating this community too. It's really great for music therapists to be able to listen to other music therapists and their struggles and what's going on. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Julianne is just so easy to talk to and a wealth of knowledge, so I hope you learned a lot in that conversation as well as in my first half of my conversation with her. Uh, and if you did, let us know. Let us know on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, on any of the social platforms. You can find Julianne at all the links in the show notes. 
And if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles. That link is always in the show notes. Patrons have the exclusive opportunity to ask guest questions, which is something you might want to be able to do moving forward. So thank you again so much for tuning into this week's episode. Thank you for listening each week. If you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast or if there's someone you specifically want me to reach out to to have on, let me know by sending an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. That's it for this week's episode and I will see you in the next one. 